0: Massive thanks to Catherine and Father Ernesto. I heard about you from Sister Mary Gertrude on the other side of town this afternoon. She sang uh, your praises, so it's really good to kind of meet you. Later we'll shake hands, I suppose. Uh, and it's a privilege to be with all of you tonight. If you do get a chance uh, in the days or weeks ahead to bump into Jonathan or Dr. Ryan Hanning, anybody over there, at you, Mary, make sure you say thank you. Uh, they've really, as always, taken such good care of me and made me feel at home Phoenix is actually a really special place to me. I've got extended relatives here uh, and over the last four or five years they've probably made one to two trips a year for different things whether that's parish retreats or uh, larger youth conferences and then smaller events as well and so uh, I just love your weather first of all. I heard this past weekend was not so sharp but uh, the last couple days have been amazing and something about the you know palm trees in the distance at any given moment just put my soul at ease. I sort of feel like I'm on a holiday so I I really like that. I, unfortunately, spent most of February 2017 in England where I did not see the sun for much more than a combined seven hours over the course of 12 days, okay? <laughs> uh, and so it really, really is nice to be on the west coast of our incredible country. And, uh, and again, thanks to you guys for coming out tonight. It means a lot. The gift of your time, the gift of your presence. Um, so just to further sort of divulge my background Uh, I come from a family that maybe is a lot like some of yours, somewhat average, American, Catholic, suburban, middle-class family. Uh, Everything but the white picket fence, really, you know? I went to Catholic school from middle school on, before that public school, went off to Vanderbilt for college. I sort of had two groups of friends at Vanderbilt. They were all of my evangelical Christian friends and all of my atheist and agnostic friends. I didn't really meet a Catholic until I was probably a junior, and that was while studying abroad in London, of all things. Uh, I remember day one of freshman year really feeling like I had a decision to make, you know, especially as those first few weeks unfolded, what kind of man did I want to become? And the fact that y'all here in your 20s and in your 30s coming together as young professionals uh, to really talk about the one thing necessary, uh, becoming a saint, uh, the one thing necessary, a relationship of love with Almighty God, uh, the one thing necessary to come together as a church And respond to this uh, universal call that we have to be saints and to be missionaries, uh, even in the most ordinary circumstances of our life. It just, your witness speaks volumes to me, uh, because I remember as an 18-year-old thinking, wow, I I don't see anybody else really doing this. Uh, And it was mentors often at a distance and heroes that I read about, largely amongst the saints, that even helped me pitter-patter along, uh, particularly through my 20s. And so, that you guys have a group like this in and of itself is really quite amazing. Um, The two groups of friends I mentioned, you know, the atheists and agnostics were the friends I went to school with every day. Uh, The evangelicals were the ones I hung out with every night. And uh, even they mostly thought I was going to hell because I was Catholic. So I just felt (laughs) mostly alone. And I can tell you, having now been in Nashville, Tennessee for about 13 years, uh, there's still occasionally that feeling of, wow, like, what's going on? You know, you just feel slightly uh, the the reality of solitude. And I find that continually that's an invitation to intimacy with God. Uh, Wherever you might feel a bit alone or a bit homesick or a bit out of place, I just want to encourage you to to lift that up because it really is reminding all of us that, in fact, we're not home yet and that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, So I just want to start with that Uh, Tone, because, you know, whether you're a missionary traveling the world and sort of in a new city every few days uh, or in a new continent every few weeks or few months, or you're showing up to an office job that is sort of nine to five and steady and consistent, um, I think all of us have to remember that uh, keeping one foot firmly planted uh, in this life and in this earth while keeping the other one constantly aching and constantly longing for heaven is really a very, very healthy thing. So whatever ache you come with tonight, uh, I share in it to the extent that uh, life is full of imperfections. And uh, being faithful to the struggle uh, of becoming a saint and of becoming the apostles that the Lord wants us to be uh, is worth it. It's worth living for, and I would say it's certainly worth dying for. Um, I have a business degree from Vanderbilt not exactly the common thing that would lead you to go to seminary and then leave seminary and become a missionary and then just sort of be this like serial Catholic entrepreneur or whatever I am. Uh, I'm always sort of seeing things that should be and aren't and then just throwing myself in until uh, someone else comes along and helps because I usually make a mess along the way. And uh, I would say probably most of us in this room fall into one of two categories as business leaders. We're probably a bit on the visionary side or a bit on the pragmatist side. And if you happen to have a bit of both, uh, you're likely to be some of the most influential people that the world ever sees. You know, people like John Paul II, as much as people like Hitler, would have been both visionary and pragmatic. Uh, And obviously we can use that for great good or great evil. And uh, it's incredible when you meet people who sort of have this... A wide array, this spectrum of gifts and, and, and talents and charisms, um, and I'm assuming that, that we're well represented tonight in that diversity. Um, so again, thank you for taking your faith seriously, for taking your careers seriously, for not being kind of the, the typical young adults living in the land of perpetual adolescence. Um, it really is inspiring. Okay, so I had breakfast this morning with your auxiliary bishop, Bishop Eduardo Navarez, has anybody had any interaction with him up until this point? He's been here for about seven years now. He really is a wonderfully joyful, charming teddy bear of a man. (laughs) He's really amazing, and he was my spiritual director when I was at seminary seven or eight years ago, so I spent a good hour to an hour and a half with him one-on-one every two weeks for about nine months, and he became obviously a spiritual father to me in that time, and this morning there were several moments as we were having breakfast. Uh, at the corner bakery over by the Chancery in downtown Phoenix, where he was welling up with tears, and they were tears not of sorrow but of joy, as he was calling to mind the most important things uh, of what life really is all about. And I was sitting on the opposite side of him, you know, as as a son, to some extent as a brother and as a friend, Um, more than anything as just a, a grateful recipient of God's grace because the words that he spoke over the course of an hour and 15 minutes felt like um, the kind of words that I would normally hear from the Lord over the course of a five-day silent retreat. Um, and I wanted to begin here because I think recognizing and remembering and never forgetting that we are called to holiness, that we are called to intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are called uh, to intimate union with God uh, is, is the starting place for us all no matter what our vocation, no matter what our state of life might be. And at one point, he was you know tearing up when he was calling to mind just the great mystery of God's presence within him. Okay, like here you have this bishop, I don't know how old he is, I'm guessing in his 50s or in his 60s. He's been a priest obviously for far longer than that and he is still caught up in the mystery of God's love for him and the reality of God's presence in him to such an extent that he's become more a boy, more a child in the arms of his father than ever before. Uh, another truth that we were kind of stumbling into and talking about was uh, being able to call God Abba, to understand the great mystery of our uh, divine filiation, to be a beloved son or beloved daughter of God, the Father. Again, he starts tearing up as he just whispers the name Abba, Abba. You know, some of the, the first syllables that could be spoken by an infant. And yet that is exactly the posture we are to have in prayer uh, and in our lives as Christians. And uh, the last thing we talked about was just the, the great joy that is the interior life as a prelude to eternal life. In other words, what we do as Catholic Christians in prayer and through the sacramental life of the church is we essentially begin living heaven on earth that inasmuch as our lives are a sacrifice of praise and an offering of worship and adoration to God, heaven is everywhere. Because that's what heaven is, right? This never-ending, uh, infinite sort of communion of love where all of creation and all of humanity in particular, uh, the redeemed, are there in praise and, and adoration. And so it's really like a wonderful thought to consider that that is, again, what we are made for. Regardless of our vocation, regardless of our state of life, we are made for heaven, and our hearts will certainly be restless until then. And then along the way, the the few moments where we actually feel at home and we actually feel at ease in this life, it's because we're just briefly in a lower chamber of heaven, just briefly catching a glimpse of that eternal beatitude for which we are made It's all pretty high level in a sense, and it's all uh, really quite simple at the same time. These perennial truths of who we are as Christians, beloved sons and daughters of God the Father, the great mystery of God's life within us, the great joy and hope that we should have in aiming ourselves and aiming our lives towards heaven, towards the eternal glory. it's all really wonderful and hopefully somewhat inspiring. I hope your heart's just elevated as you ponder some of the bishop's words that he shared with me this morning. But then when we get down to it, what does it actually look like? What does it actually look like to be saints, to be missionaries, to pursue holiness, as Catherine said, in the ordinary circumstances of our lives? And I want to propose just three you know, kind of simple ideas that have been carrying me through the last 10 years, both academically, professionally, Uh, apostolically, I'm not even sure if that's a word, Uh, but I've come in and out of a lot of different moments and a lot of different situations and a lot of different people's lives. And I have to say that the more I can take these really beautiful, profound and simple truths and apply them uh, even to the most ordinary circumstances of my life, the better, Uh, because that's really where the rubber hits the road. Um, It is easy to just talk, 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 talk about holy things, And actually, most Catholic young adults where I come from in Nashville are really good at that. Like, everybody is starting, like, a Chesterton club or an Aquinas society or something, right? Like, everybody wants to meet for Compline and, you know, Scotch, right? Um, (laughs) And this is all good, but the reality is, what what does it actually look like in the 9 to 5? And what does it look like on the Friday and Saturday night? And what does it look like in our discernment of vocation and being faithful to God's will for our lives? So I just want to propose three really simple things. Uh, The first is, in fact, daily prayer and frequenting of the sacraments. Uh, I don't know what kind of access y'all have to daily Mass, but if it's even possible within your schedule, that in and of itself is a small miracle. I just came from England, 12 straight days there, where just about anywhere you go outside of the city of London, okay, so that's... 7 million people living in London, another 70 million people living in the United Kingdom, okay? And those 70 million don't have access to mass apart from 9 a.m. three or four days a week, which is impossible for anybody in school, impossible for anybody in a career. You have to fight for your prayer life over there. I have to fight for my prayer life over there. It's a really difficult thing, and I take for granted, but in Nashville, I have access to daily Mass at 6.15 in the morning, 7, 7, 7.10, 8, 8 8.30, 10 a.m., 12.10, 12.20, and 5.30 p.m. every single day of the week. I would assume Phoenix being actually considerably more Catholic than Nashville would have similar access to the sacraments. So we have a week or so before Lent. I want to propose that actually daily Mass is something that many of us uh, could take on as a challenge, and maybe if you already have, Uh, it's a great time to to bring along the boyfriend the girlfriend the the best friend the the mom the dad whoever it is in your life uh, who needs that moment every day which is really all of us but we'll be open to having that moment every day where you just sit and you receive and we're so defined by what we do in today's culture especially as young professionals as young entrepreneurs we put all of our identity in what we accomplish And the one part of my day where it's just all made very much clear that it has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the work of my hands, is the divine liturgy. is the holy sacrifice of the Mass where actually all I'm coming to bring to God is my sin and my brokenness because everything else is just a gift from him anyways. So it's just a return offering. And it's a beautiful moment to just be receptive. I think receptivity probably comes a bit less naturally to us as men for example but everything about the liturgy everything really about theology and our faith in general is receptive it's something that we receive Um, so what does that look like for us to receive from the Lord uh, those gifts of peace uh, those graces of inspiration those graces of discernment which I can at least say in my life my most inspired moments are like road trips the bathroom and daily mass, all right? Those are the three Those are the three moments in the day where it's like, this is just me. Like, nobody can touch this, you know? I'm sorry, I, I don't know if the guys get that. The girl's like, I don't know what he just said. Uh, but maybe one day you'll understand. Uh, point is, these are precious moments in the day, the holy mass in particular, where the Lord can speak, and just making yourself available to that. I don't know how many of you guys have a daily rhythm of prayer. I didn't develop one until I was probably... Yeah, seminarian, that's about right. I mean, I went to mass for a couple of years every day before seminary, uh, but it probably was not until uh, I was forced to start every day in prayer and end every day in prayer that I even had the courage or the insight to do so. So what does it look like? The morning offering, a nightly examination of conscience, lectio Divina, praying through scripture. There's so many beautiful things we can do to commit our day to the Lord in prayer. And no matter how busy we might be, um, Wow, like what could be a better use of 30 minutes, a better use of five minutes than to pray? Uh, My spiritual director back home in Atlanta says uh, it's always the right time to pray. If you even have the slightest impulse to pray, rest assured that is not a temptation from hell, it is a grace from God, okay? (laughs) So just run with it. Run with it every time. Even if that means extending a coffee break, to squeeze in a divine mercy chapel. I don't know what it looks like for you all, you know? But what does it really look like to be men and women of prayer? In other words, it's not just enough to have an ongoing conversation with God, okay? That would sort of be like a tweeting relationship or like a, gosh, we're going to keep our Snapchat streak alive, me and God, you know? (laughs) Uh, There there needs to be daily contact and and daily communion with the Lord. Uh, If you can't get to Mass, uh, find that time to pray. The second thing might be the most pertinent to your lives as young professionals. What does it look like to be sanctified by your work Uh, Who's ever read uh, some of the writings and the works of Saint-José-Marie Maria escriva Okay, this guy is so brilliant because actually most of his life was spent helping people like us, lay people in the world, become saints. And one of his great programs uh, towards holiness was to treat your work. For example, in my case, when I'm not traveling and I'm not doing these kinds of things, I'm Back home, and I actually sit at a desk for a few hours a day. And yeah, I have meetings and coffee and things are happening, but there's a few hours a day, regardless, where I have to sit down and allow that desk, in the words of St. Jose Maria, to become an altar of sacrifice. Okay? What does it look like to even, if you can't do this real visibly, to just place a small little crucifix at the end of your desk? And suddenly it begins to even look a bit like an altar, and you sort of can't really excuse yourself anymore from the presence of God because he's right there in your midst. And that means that actually every action, every moment, uh, every detail of your day can suddenly become a part of this great sacrifice of praise, this having one foot on earth and one foot in heaven, this interior life being the prelude to eternal life that heaven can touch on right here and now, even by just finishing an email strong, okay, uh, by not getting lazy. In the words of You know, uh, Jose Maria, St. Joseph never left his workshop cluttered or messy at the end of a day. You know, it's getting close to 5 p.m. What does it look like to sort of like rearrange and clean and sort through things at 4.45 so that your next day is all the more fruitful and productive? For every phone call, every conversation, every meeting to be an opportunity to do things well and to do them with excellence not for our own glory, of course, but for the glory of God. And that is what it really means to be priestly as lay people, to have lives where we sacrifice and we lift up that sacrifice as praise. I don't know about you guys, this is hardest around 3 or 3.30 p.m. I mean, for most of our childhood, we'd come home and that was snack time, okay? And then, like, college hit, and that's about when you got addicted to coffee, right? 3.30, 4 p.m., okay? Well, now we have to somehow push through that, and I I do go for the second cup of coffee usually around that time, Uh, but I don't want to uh, finish uh, any less hard and any less strong than I started. So what does it look like to have the virtue to to push through those final moments of every day? So to be sanctified in our ordinary circumstances and even in our commitment to excellence at work, uh, it also opens up this incredible window to what Jose Maria calls the apostolate of friendship, Okay, this is big time because you guys now have access to people in your workplace and in your uh, spheres of influence that actually there's a good chance—very few faithful Catholics have access. In other words, you might be the only gospel that some people encounter. We talk about you know the four gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, there's really only one gospel, and that's the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. It's really quite exciting that Mason, by the end of his life, will have written a gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mason. Okay? Same with Catherine. Same with each of us in this room. And that means that our lives are meant to imitate the life, even death and, of course, resurrection of Christ. And yet, yeah, it's largely in the way that we live, in the way uh, that we bring joy and that we bring hope and that we bring uh, authentic love into every circumstance and every relationship of our lives. Uh, But it also means that in the workplace, we're building friendship and trust with people to such an extent that suddenly they're open to the gospel. And suddenly they're asking you questions because you are freaking them out with your joy and with your love and with your passion and your sense of purpose and your work ethic up until 5 p.m. on the dot, just before, for those of us who are married, you get back home and you keep the the main thing, the main thing, which is your family and your kids, you know, Um, which really brings me to my last point. What does it look like for us as young adults, as young professionals, to discern our vocations well, to discern God's will for our lives well. I just want to leave you with three very simple Ignatian tips. Okay, The first, I'm sure some of you are aware that God can just simply speak. Not always out of the clouds, but usually somewhere in the depths of our heart He speaks. This is for those of us who are stubborn, um, maybe particularly closed off to the, to the voice of God in our lives. I have a really good friend who became a priest probably in his late 20s, but when he was 16, he walked out of confession. After a very rebellious childhood and a largely rebellious adolescence, as a 16-year-old, he walks out of confession randomly and just hears a voice in the depths of his soul that says, I'm calling you to be a priest. And he knew in that moment, he didn't have to respond to that call. There was freedom in the invitation, but it spoke to his deepest desire that he held on to well into his 20s until he finally went off to seminary. Uh, this is now actually one of the coolest manliest and holiest priests i know in Bremerton, Washington, so Pacific Northwest. Uh, this is the kind of priest that you would like skin deer with, you know what i'm talking about? You'd like smoke cigars with, drink beer with, he probably brews his own beer, you know what i'm talking about? He just is intensely holy. And it began with this moment where the Lord spoke. The second is a bit more common, it's what Ignatius calls consolation and desolation. All right? So what does it look like for us to be inspired in moments of joy and peace? Abiding joy and that peace that surpasses all circumstances, uh, all, um, lead to help me out, that surpasses all understanding. Whew, man, not a scripture scholar, apparently. Uh, what does it look like for us to make decisions in moments of peace and joy? Because that's actually the only time that God can speak. Frankly, I, I'm in like a three or four week dry stretch where, like, I don't know, like, I don't wake up with a whole lot of hope and joy in my soul, you know, and I'm just kind of like, Ah, trying to get through certain moments of the day that actually would be really easy and natural to me most of the year but like right now I'm just in a, in a, a moment a season of desolation it means that actually the the, the devil has a little bit uh, easier access to me because I'm feeling the fear and I'm feeling the anxiety and and I just know that I can't make big decisions this would this would not be a great entrepreneurial moment for me you know what I mean uh, this is the right season to just hang tight, keep my head down, don't stop praying, don't stop you know, growing in, in virtue and um, basically do what the Lord told me to do last time I was in a season of consolation. Does that make sense? So to consolation, the Lord speaks. Desolation, he doesn't. And you just ignore it. The third and final way, which is I think really helpful when all else fails. Ignatius of Loyola, you gotta love this. Just imagine yourself on your deathbed. Yep, I said it. Imagine yourself on your deathbed. Looking back at your life, what do you want to see? He could have just said like rocking chair years. You know, he didn't have to say deathbed, but similar. At the end of your life, looking back, what do you want to give an account for? What do you want to look at and be proud of? What do you hope that your life in some way represented? What kind of legacy do you hope that your life leaves behind? So these are just real basic tools for discernment. Again, the epic, beautiful, mighty call to be saints, to be missionaries, to change the world, to transform it from the inside out. Thanks be to God, someone like Bishop Navarre has reminded me of this one necessary thing, this, this all important thing that, that our entire lives should be dedicated to uh, this passionate pursuit of God and His will and the salvation of souls. That's it. But what does that actually look like? And for those of you who are in permanent vocations or approaching permanent vocations, Uh, For those of you who are still uncertain of career path and uh, the future trajectory of your life, um, just rest assured that if you keep your daily prayer life intact, uh, particularly frequent access uh, to the sacraments, and the only one I didn't mention, which should be a no-brainer, is regular confession, like weekly confession. That might sound like a tall order for some of us, but nothing will bring you more joy than reckoning with your brokenness and finding sweetness and the healing of Jesus, uh, who is the face of the Father's mercy, week in and week out. Um, There's plenty of weeks where I go to confession more than once. And um, I don't know what that sounds like to you guys, but to me it sounds like freedom. So I just want to encourage that as well. Second piece is looking for the ordinary, holiness in the ordinary, Uh, the majesty of God, even in the details of our lives. Uh, One of the things Josemaria often said was that love is in the details. So being excellent, uh, allowing the glory to go to the Lord and, and, and not to you along the way, uh, and then opening up this, this pathway towards an apostolate of friendship where suddenly you can be just as effective as that missionary in Nigeria or me, the missionary over in England for a couple of weeks at a time. Well, I've got young people like coming up to me begging to be baptized. Like that happens in England because they are not postmodern as much as they are pre-Christian over there, all right? And actually, we might be moving in a similar direction culturally in America, where actually we might find that people are more and more open to the gospel because in a certain sense, maybe it's never truly and authentically been proclaimed to them. Well, that's the witness of your life, and eventually with trusted friendship, the witness of your words as well. And then finally, to discern and to discern well. Uh, Most of us are not in permanent states of life. I am not in a permanent state of life. I don't recommend a lifetime of discernment. Uh, but it sort of feels like that's what I've been in. And uh, to just hang tight in the moments of desolation and, and to push forward in the times of consolation, to trust that God does speak, can, will, and always will be speaking because it's, it's who he is. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is the word of God among us. The word that he speaks is the word that he is. And so the heart of God is constantly pouring into the heart of man. And uh, what a gift to recognize that and to live our lives accordingly. Um, This was the part where I was, if I hadn't taken so much time, I was going to share an epic story about Loch Derg, which is this coast, uh, this island off of the coast of Northern Ireland. It's not even off the coast. It's actually in a lake in Northern Ireland, where uh, even in the height of their summer, it's cold, and it's bleak, and you basically have three days without food and sleep, and you pray like 1,100 Hail Marys, and 800 Our Fathers, and all these Apostles' Creeds, and Basically, it's, it's nicknamed St. Patrick's Purgatory for a reason, okay? And I, I only bring it up now briefly instead of the longer version of the story because Lent is around the corner, I guess, eight days from today. Is that right? Next Wednesday. That's next Wednesday. And so this, this season of prayer, penance, and almsgiving is such a beautiful time to double over our commitments to the Lord, uh, to be just uh, turning up the heat on our love, Uh, the the heart that we put into our prayer, the amount of time that we give to the Lord in prayer, uh, our sort of courage and and moments of penance. Like, I really wanted one of those double chocolate chunk cookies in there, and it might still get the better of me before the night's over, you know? But those little moments where we resist, so good. Like, I I was pulling off, I guess it was I-10 onto 202 today, and, like, Chick-fil-A was just screaming at me, all right? (laughs) And actually, this was like 4.30 p.m. I was like, oh, I can do this. I can still make my hour-long fast before Mass. That way I'm not like showing up at this social hour like famished Okay, after Mass. And um, sure enough, this Chick-fil-A was like three miles off the highway in the middle of rush hour. Okay, So I wasted like 15 minutes of my time only to realize that I was never going to get to that Chick-fil-A without making myself late for Mass. And so I just turned back around and felt pretty dejected and then realized, dang it, I'm so weak in the flesh, you know? And... <laughs> It would have been a far greater moment uh, and a far greater grace to have just resisted, you know, and to trust that, okay, the Lord's going to give me what I need no matter how hungry I am right now. He's going to give me what I need. And uh, that self-willingness to deny ourselves uh, opens up uh, a real um, trusted relationship of love with the Lord um, that actually our, our usual selfishness, of course, doesn't. At least mine doesn't. Um, so kind of ponder Loch Derg, if that's at all helpful. YouTube it, find the documentaries on it, and then go one day. And, uh, and you'll find that, in fact, the greatest joy isn't even in food, which is so hard for me to believe. It's not even in sleep. You don't sleep the first night that you're there. Forty hours you are left awake in prayer. And you're like, you're kneeling, and you're standing, and you're kneeling, and you're standing. And at one point you put your back up against the basilica three different times in a row, Nine different times over the course of three days you say, I reject the world, the flesh, and the devil. I reject the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's like absolutely what we do every time we enter into prayer because it takes tremendous faith to believe that God is with us, that God can hear us, that God is, is, is very much a God of the living, not of the dead, a God of redemption, and he's on the move, right? Without prayer, you can't see that. Without faith, you can't pray. A complete rejection of the world, the flesh, and the devil when we deny ourselves and the comforts that strengthen our will and then make it far easier for us to even dream with God. Uh, if he wants to do great things with our lives, we, we can't even see that apart from first denying ourselves along the way. And then, of course, that last piece of almsgiving, of really allowing our lives to be uh, ones of self-giving and self-donation and, and self-sacrifice. Uh, that looks different for all of us. Um, but I know that this Lent, I just want to go one step further. And uh, it's just got to be more than giving up chocolate and Coke. You know, it's got to be. And uh, I really hope that this Lent can be a tremendous time of uh, deep encounter with the Lord and, and profound conversion for us all. Um, last thing I'll say before I close with, with a brief song is um, there's a lot of reasons to think that we can't that we can't be saints, that we can't be missionaries, that the Lord is calling anybody but us to live lives of heroic virtue and heroic prayer. And uh, I just will encourage you that actually you you join a long line of salvation history figures who had far better excuses. Um, Start with Abraham, he was a little bit too old. You know, Jeremiah thought he was too young. Moses had a speech impediment. Uh, Jonah was a coward. David was an adulterer and a murderer, okay? Uh, Peter denied Christ. Paul persecuted him. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) So I think for most of us, for most of us, the the unwillingness to not hit the snooze button and just begin our day on our knees, the unwillingness to carve out the five to ten minutes before we go to bed at night to read through Scripture, examine our conscience, and thank God for a beautiful day, even if it didn't feel so beautiful, Uh, the sacrifice of daily mass, regular confession. Um, We've got it easy, especially in this part of the world, especially at this moment where you've got uh, two very holy bishops and an incredibly vibrant diocese where there are seminarians and priests in the pipeline uh, beyond most bishops' wildest imaginations. Uh, You guys are just tremendously blessed as lay people in this diocese and I just stand in awe of what I've seen the Lord do in Phoenix and what he continues to allow rippling out uh, from Phoenix uh, now for almost seven eight nine years so um, I just encourage you now to form some of these intentions allow some of these practical notes to sink into your head and into your heart and translate really into your hands and into your feet so what does it look like for us to be greater men and women of prayer What does it look like for us to be holy, even in the ordinary circumstances of our lives, to turn our work into a sacrifice of praise, and then finally to discern our vocation well, to discern God's will well. Um, The song I'm going to play is called Fount of Love. It's very much a song of the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost, and it could be an opportunity also for you to not just form some of these resolutions, but to even come up with a question. We'll have about five minutes of Q&A at the end of this, and you're welcome to pepper me with anything under the sun, whether it's about, you know, Taylor Swift sightings in Nashville, which happened, yeah? <laughs> Participated in at least one of those. Uh, or kind of the the whole balance of being a uh, businessman uh, businessman or businesswoman or doctor or lawyer, whatever profession you find yourself in, and then yet also trying to bring your faith into every moment of your day, the tension that is there. Whatever question you might have, you're welcome to pepper me with. Uh, again, the psalm is called Founts of Love. how many of you guys are on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you're also very, very welcome to uh, ask me the more embarrassing questions later tonight. Jimmy P. Mitchell is my handle. P is in Patrick Mitchell with two L's. Uh, but does anybody have any sort of overarching questions from tonight? Anything that we talked about or anything that might be helpful to just hear a, you know, a response to for for the whole group? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So in those moments of consolation, is is it us? Is it the Lord? Mm, like, you definitely want to find a good spiritual director who can help you with the specifics of that. Uh, my approach, g- good, bad, or ugly, uh, is usually just to throw the spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks, you know? Um, that's a bit of an entrepreneur's approach to uh, Ignatian spirituality. I'm not sure that that's healthy at all, uh-huh, but I think there's something to say about um, what persists, okay? So those Good discernment, healthy discernment does begin with desire and the desires that are sustained over time in different circumstances, in different seasons, even over the course of years. uh, I don't know how that could be anything but the Lord. you know. And sometimes all he really gives us is enough to move forward. So it's the impulse, right? To move our lives in a direction. We might think that that impulse is actually leading us to this. uh, But along the way, it's just what the Lord needed to get us moving actually towards his will. You know? That'd be my best, sort of, you know, un- unprofessional kind of advice. That's a great question. Yeah. How many of you guys have spiritual directors? I'm just curious. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's like a third of you. It's a beautiful thing. If you want to grow in prayer, you want to deepen your love for the Lord and have a, a helpful partner in discerning the Holy Spirit and His voice in your life, find a good, competent, holy spiritual director. Any other questions about anything at all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, hmm. (laughs) There's probably a lot of good litmus tests for that. Um, I suppose in the moment, you know, is the joy, well, yeah, there's sort of a difference between happiness and mirth. Anybody know what mirth is? It's like divine joy. It's how C.S. Lewis describes the saints in heaven. He says they have mirth dancing in their eyes. Um, G.K. Chesterton says it was the gigantic secret of, of Jesus. It was the one thing he was almost too shy to share on earth was his mirth, right? His joy that came out of his intimacy with the Father. So I suppose when we are given glory uh, and our people are, are giving us praise and encouragement, it's, it's, it's great to feel happy, right? I suppose the question is, do we allow that happiness to be elevated to a more profound joy, which really becomes a prayer of thanksgiving or a prayer of, of uh, yeah, petition to the Lord, um, or do we allow it to kind of sink in and then sort of eventually fizzle out within our own within our own being, you know? So I suppose for me the the, the reaction is really important. Um, but I guess in some ways this is a little bit like what C.S. Lewis says too: uh, "Fake it till you make it." In, in other words, like allow yourself to grow in humility. Um, even by stumbling along the way and and making those mistakes and realizing that like oh man I really am kind of an idiot sometimes and I really do love myself way too much and we live in a society that says love yourself you know big time and uh, I don't actually get that I've tried to get that I know that even the Lord says love others as you love yourself or how's it go point is I think it's just a lot easier to let the Lord love you you know and um, to find all your identity in His love which is like passionate and personal and perfect and infinite and everything your heart's ever wanted anyway. So why do we go elsewhere? You know, it's because we're, we're settling for a mud pie in the slum and the Lord actually has a holiday at the sea for us, you know. So I suppose looking after that more profound joy and, uh, and to react with prayer versus self-adulation. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, this is fun. Questions? Yeah, it's also CS Lewis. Yes, exactly. Not taking credit for that one. Weight of glory, yeah. Um, so you said that sometimes you use to go home at five. And I'm I'm assuming you want to keep your job, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really tough. I mean I do think Jose Maria is very helpful in this because the Spanish well the problem is they have their siestas. You know, they're not quite as quite as hard working as we tend to be. I mean, really, for such a young country, we have a heck of a lot of gusto to be as productive as we are, you know. I think it drives the rest of the world nuts. Yeah, it's sad because actually I think that's almost a, a, an impetus to tell you guys, go start your own dang companies and build your own culture from the top down. I know that's not reasonable, but my, my point is we need more good people who are uh, not just... I guess managing jobs and managing employees but actually mentoring them and journeying with them and in some cases being like you know a spiritual father or mother to us Um, yeah I hate that you feel that pressure and it makes perfect sense that you do and in a sense you can continue lifting up that sacrifice of praise but that'd be a pretty disordered life if suddenly you know you were sitting at the desk or at the office you know from 9am to 9pm three four nights a week you know who were like at a, a dramatically more significant disadvantage throughout human history? Like what was coming to mind of the martyrs, right? Like the first 300 years of popes, for example. It's a death sentence, right? Uh, every priest ordained in England from like 15-whatever until the 1840s like had to either be underground or shipped off, you know, because um, otherwise they would have been hung, drawn, and quartered. So it's interesting. I guess the question is, um, this isn't a... a, a opportunity for martyrdom in the strict sense, um, what does it look like for us to live ordered lives and to sort of um, not care what the world around us says? You know, I I wouldn't want to encourage you guys to put your jobs at jeopardy, right? Um, but your holiness is way more important than your career. And uh, having a balanced life, you know, not really in the way that the world means that, uh a prioritized life where the Lord is first and, you know, your vocation one day is second and everything else just falls to a a very, you know, far off third and fourth and fifth. Um, That's going to be really difficult. My dad, he just retired after 38 years at IBM. Um, You know, he was probably like somewhere in like the top 250 of their food chain, if you know what I mean. And he said he did not realize the cloud that was over his head and over his heart uh, for the last 37 years until the day after he retired, and suddenly he felt free again, and that impacted every relationship, every decision he made for 37 years. I don't think any of us want to be in that place, you know, and, um, and my dad's like a really beautiful, really humble man, just became Catholic a few years ago. You know, when my older brother passed away, he just became like a hero to so many people, myself included, and, uh, so the Lord uses all for good. I just wonder what it looks like to find those, those career paths that allow for, you know, uh, holy, balanced, prayerful lives and apostolic lives, yeah. You can't really do much for souls at 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. when everybody's just ready to get the heck out of there anyways. Yeah, that's tough. We should talk about that further because I, I don't know if this is the right forum because you guys are probably needing to go home soon for those of you who have to we'll get up early in the morning. What I will suggest now is we'll just hang out and talk. For anybody who wants, I'll I'll hang till the last man drops. Um, And it's a really good time to also mention that we've got a conference coming up in May that is sort of designed very much around this tension. It's called the Glory Conference, the subtitle. We do these all over the country, but we've chosen a very specific approach uh, in Phoenix, knowing what you guys struggle with in particular. The subtitle, I believe, is um, Leisure, Work, and the Art of Being Human. Doesn't that sound so good? And like everybody who's giving talks at that conference is way more qualified and credentialed than I am. So it's all up from here, okay? And uh, it'll be three days of of beautiful liturgies, uh, late night concerts, uh, three or four talks a day, and lots of opportunities to grow in real fellowship and communion with one another. Um, There are flyers, um, I think, going around right now. Yep. So definitely mark your calendars and uh, know that the website will be up with... Registration pretty soon. Um, anything else? Should we say a quick prayer together? In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for calling us together tonight, for allowing our lives to converge, even if uh, just for a couple of hours. We thank you for the great gift of being Catholic, for the call to holiness that you put on each of our lives, even the call to mission, uh, to not just be your friend, Lord, but to even be your very presence in the world around us. Help us to live for you, to be even willing to die for you, Lord, whatever that looks like, and certainly to be willing to die to ourselves every day, that you might live more perfectly and more fully in us. We ask that you would guide us in our discernment and as we move forward in our vocations and careers, especially over the next many months and years of life. We just pray for your protection, Lord, for your guidance, and uh, mostly uh, for our courage to respond to your call, whatever that means. In the little ways and the big ways, to just simply be faithful and obedient to you, knowing that that is where all of our joy is found. Uh, Blessed Mother Mary, as always, we entrust ourselves to you. We consecrate our lives, our careers, our hearts to your immaculate heart. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anybody tempted to never come back to one of these Speak You series because this one went for so long? Um, this is not normal. I am way over schedule. That's what happens when you put an artist and an entrepreneur up here. Sorry, Catherine. You guys have been amazing, and we'll hang as long as you can. God bless. You.